Good morning. We are uh, continuing in the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 8. And as you're turning there, it's also printed for you in the bulletin. But, you know, isn't isn't it fascinating that this is the only document that's ever been written that's alive? That it's living and active and that it has a way of going all the way to the core of our being. It is that powerful. And we've seen that this passage this morning that we're going to be in, I've spent this week in it, and I have to say, it's, it's weighty. All of God's word is weighty, uh, but Jesus didn't mince words here. <laughs> and we're going to go through this together. I invite you to go with me in this. Uh, but notice also that the, the track record, the last few chapters in John. Back in chapter 6, you remember there was a... a thousands that he fed right he fed five thousand and by the end of that chapter the the crowd had dwindled down to just the few disciples he had left because they didn't like what he had to say this chapter chapter eight begins with uh well we're here this morning it's going to begin with many believing in jesus by the end of the chapter we'll see next week that they're picking up stones ready to kill him And what that says is that Jesus is more interested in true followers than he is numbers. And this passage has a lot to say about that to to the folks that Jesus is interacting with and the church at large today. Um, What's going on here? John's gospel. Remember what John wrote, his purpose for writing. He said it at at the end of the gospel. He says, I write these things that you may know that Jesus is the Son of God and that by knowing him... You may have eternal life. John wrote to share the gospel, to have people come to know him. That's why he wrote. And Jesus here presents the gospel uh, in a very direct way. He, He approaches the gospel looking for true disciples. He loves us too much. He loves these folks too much to allow false faith to continue. That's why he's so adamant here in this passage, as we'll see, to unmask uh, false faith before it floods the ranks of the Christian community with people who have never been born again. It may be that that is one of the greatest problems of American Christianity, cultural Christianity. I mean, the Christianity that just remains on the surface, that doesn't go to the heart. You see, if we miss heart transformation... We're merely producing well-behaved lost people who don't know Jesus. Again, I told you this passage is weighty, and I've spent the time in it this week, and it's had its way in me, and I invite you to join me in it. Jesus doesn't mince words. But can we hear it as a profound expression of love that won't allow us to settle for anything less than him having all of us? Will you allow the word to have access to your heart this morning? Let's go there now. This is God's inerrant and infallible word in John 8, verses 31 to 47. It says there, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. 
The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Ab that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my words. You are of your father, the devil. Your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Tell the truth. If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and, uh, and ask the Lord to guide us through this passage together. Father, this is your word. It is true and it is your expression of love to us. May we receive it. Lord, would you speak through me, a broken, fallible person, saved by grace alone. Would you speak in power for your glory and our good. In Christ's name, amen. I, uh, a couple of years ago, I redid a bathroom in our house, and it was one of those things where you sort of, like, I have a friend that calls it bumblebee in your way through it. You know, bumblebee sort of bounces off the wall of trying to find the hole and eventually gets in there. Well, that was me trying to figure out this bathroom. You get it wrong, get it wrong, get it wrong, and finally you figure it out. Well, I remember looking at Michelle when taking the hammer to the uh, cabinets the first day. I was like, all right, I'm busting this out. This is the point of no return. If I break it, I got to fix it. <laughs> got to do a new one. So we did that. We broke it, and... Uh, uh, I remember breaking out the, the, the shower tile surround, you know, and after I started banging on that, some of the paint started coming off, and I realized that the folks that flipped the house before us had put nice-looking paint over old pink tile. So we busted that out, and then uh, I started hitting the cabinet and realized that it was nice, a nice coat of paint over an old, fragile, broken cabinet, and they had put a nice... Uh, granite countertop on top of it so it looked good uh, so it pulled all this stuff out right and then found the really the, the worst problem of all all the stuff's ripped out and the framing is rotting I mean like you could like put your finger in it and it just it crumbled and really what was bad was the back wall in the bathroom was a two-story wall right so probably holding a lot of weight and under it was a crumbling joist and so I'm wondering, like, if I let this crumble too much, if I mess with this too much, is, is the house going to fall on me right now? I mean, I was really getting anxious over this. Uh, but anyway, I, I called my dad, who knows how to do just about everything, and we got to work rebuilding the joists and the framing and all of that and got it figured out. 
eventually rebuilt the bathroom. My takeaway was that those who had flipped the house before us had merely put pretty things over old problems. See, the rot was in the bones of the house, or at least in the bathroom. Um, In an environment, a society of American cultural Christianity, we are equally tempted to put pretty things over old problems. Old problems that actually go all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis 3, when Satan convinced us of a lie. You see, cultural Christianity tells us, stay in the comfort bubble. Uh, it, it, it brings us into a place of saying, give, give me some things that will make me a better person. Tell me what I need to do to be a better person. Uh, help me feel better about what I'm doing. Uh, it tells us to show up and smile and be nice and try harder. If you struggle, maybe you just need more faith but it's devoid of real transformation because it may be devoid of Christ. It teaches us that we can do it. It teaches us that we can get it right, but but what if you can't get it right? That's all of us, actually. None of us can get it right. So what do we do? If I can't get it right, well, you better at least make them think you've got it right. But what does that do? Well, we don't want to show any actual struggle with sin. Maybe we'll give them the easy stuff, the, the small struggles. Meanwhile, shame and fear send us further inward. We want to continue to cover over the lies and the destruction and the, the brokenness that's on the inside, and we like to put nice things over old problems. There are many people walking around this world, and they're aware of the rot on the inside, but they are wondering, where can I go? Where is it safe? Can I bring it to the church? The scarier thing is there are people walking in and out of churches who are not aware of what's on the inside because perhaps they believe the lie that they can get it right on their own. Jesus here doesn't mince words. It's because he loves us too much to let us fall for the lie. And so Jesus graciously shows up in our lives with truth because he wants us to be completely free in him. So what is this truth that sets us free, this truth that leads to freedom? And what is freedom for that matter? I want to get to those questions here in this initial point. Uh, You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You've probably heard that statement before, even outside the context of Scripture. Uh, It's actually the motto for a number of universities. Uh, I looked up a list of them. Idaho State, SMU, University of Tennessee, Texas, Austin, Iowa State, John Hopkins University. A lot of universities have that as their motto. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So does that mean the truth that we're looking for is some, if we reach some high enough level of education, then we'll be free? That statement is also inscribed on a stone in the headquarters of TIA. Is that the truth that we need? The national security stuff? Do we need to know that? Is that the truth that will free us? We actually see the statement used in, in courtroom movies. Have you seen Liar, Liar? At some point, Jim Carrey just screams out in the courtroom, 
You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Is it having our side of the case heard? Is that the truth that will set us free? I want to make some connections here from the passage to see if we can figure this out. So it says, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth. Elsewhere in John, John 15, Jesus says, abide in me. So abide in the word, abide in me. John 1, the word was with God, the word was God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then he says, you'll know the truth. John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, the truth is the word, and the word is the person, and the person is Jesus. It's not some high enough level of knowledge or education. It's not getting into the matters of national security. It's not even us having our side of the case heard properly. The truth is a person. Do we know him? Do we know the person? But you see here in this passage... The, the, the crowd that uh, had believed in Jesus, they appeared to be more interested in having their side of the case heard. They said, whoa, wait a second, what are you talking about this free stuff? We've never been enslaved, Jesus, we're already free, we're children of Abraham, we're, we're in. What, what is this all about? Do we ever find ourselves that way? Wanting our side of the case heard. Do we find ourselves defensive, argumentative, maybe holding others to our standards? Or are we in love with the truth, the person of Jesus? Do we, do we know him or do we know merely information about him? So the truth is a person, the person is Jesus. What about this freedom question? What is freedom? I want to get there by... Uh, I'm going to attempt to get there with a, a funny story. <laughs> I uh, had the privilege of knowing my great-grandfather, my dad's granddad. We call him Gramps. And uh, he is an awesome guy, and he was funny because he did funny things. Sometimes he didn't know he was doing funny things. Uh, he was handy. And he was always working on stuff. And so one day he was weed-eating, and he needed to restring the weed-eater, right? You know how frustrating that is, right? You, you string that thing. You try to put that cap back on. Well, He's sitting there, he's got the, the cap off, and he's stringing the weed eater. And he was a smoker, he had a cigarette going. And he set the cap down over here, got it done, picked it back up to put it on. And, you know, they're kind of hard to get on, right? And, and it wasn't going. And so he's just jamming. He says, well, I'll just jam it on there harder. until." It, and he keeps, starts beating on it and gets frustrated with it. And this thing won't go on. And after a while of struggling, his son-in-law, my granddad, came out and said, Herschel, why are you trying to put that ashtray on that weed eater? <laughs> Here's the point. He was free to use an ashtray for a weed eater cap. But it's just not going to work. We're free to do stuff. But if we weren't made for that, it's not going to work. We were not made to run our own lives. God didn't create us for that. He created us for union with him. That's when we work, so to speak. That's when we fit. That is what freedom is. And yet, we have this modern, westernized, cultural view of freedom that is 
personal autonomy. I can do whatever I want, right? I can be whoever I want to be when I grow up. Do whatever I want to do. The problem is total autonomy is fiction. There's no such thing. Because the very pursuit of total autonomy is itself a prison. Think about that. Because that pursuit of it will own you. It will control you. And anything that bumps up against that, we, we fight against, that will own us. And we'll be enslaved to this desire that we have for whatever autonomy we want. And so functionally that can play out in Christianity in terms of, well, uh, I'm, I'm fine with a, a little Jesus. I'll take a little Jesus just as long as he keeps a lot of his kingdom stuff inside his kingdom and he lets me have my little kingdom. Uh, you know, Jesus, keep, keep it to Sunday. We're good. Keep it to Sunday. But here Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You don't have to fight for your little kingdom. Guess what? I will share mine with you. You you can be seated in the heavenly places with me in my kingdom. You don't have to have your little kingdom. I'll share mine with you. If we love him, we will want to follow him. We will want to be with him. We will want to abide in his word. Doesn't his kingdom sound so much cooler than what we could ever devise on our own? So what do we do if we don't feel free? Do we try harder? Maybe make the statement a little louder like these folks here that Jesus was talking to? No, Abraham is our father. Do we, do we insist on... On, on our way, we try harder. You know, uh, pride has two sides to it. There's the, the side of it that says, I can get this right. I'll, I'll fix this. I can get it right. I'll try harder next time. The other side of pride is that I'll never get this right. It's a defeated pride, right? But it's the same thing because it's, it's self. And self leads us to the next point, the lie. The lie that leads to death. So the religious folks, these folks who Jesus is, is talking to, they really kind of show their cards. Uh, Jesus draws them out. Um, he says elsewhere in another gospel, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So they're showing where what is on the inside. They say, hey, Jesus, we're not, we're not, we're not enslaved. We're already free. We're children of Abraham. We're, we're good here. You know, just keep all that stuff to yourself. We're, we're good. You know, we'll, we'll have a little, you can be a part of our group, Jesus. Just don't mess with it. What does that look like today? I go to church. I was raised in a Christian home. I, I prayed the prayer. I, I'm good here, Jesus. I, don't, don't mess with me too much. Like, you can come and hang out with me. That's cool. But, whoa, you're trying to change me. Whoa. And then they make this strange statement. We were not born of sexual immorality. Where does that come from, right? What, what are they thinking? Well, here's what I think they're trying to say. They're trying to play the moral superiority card. Saying, hey, hey our, our story's pretty clean, Jesus. You know, we're good here. And it could be that they're even taking a shot at Jesus, actually. If you think about it, they, they probably knew, okay, you're the... 
you're the guy from Nazareth. Okay, Mary is your mom, but we're not entirely sure who your father is. I'm sure they're saying, well, we know where we come from, but we're not totally sure about you, Jesus. By the way, isn't it amazing how Jesus is able to be 100% completely present in any situation? It doesn't phase him. It doesn't rock him. You know, they're taking shots at him, but he does not bow up. <laughs> he has no insecurity issues or ego issues to defend. But it appears that they do. Because they continue to bow up. They continue to push back. But Jesus exposes what is in their hearts. He says, you're doing what your father does because you are of him. And see how he built up towards that point of who their father is? He's alluding to it. He's alluding to it. And then he says it. You're of your father, the devil. Wow. That's a gut punch. Whoa, Jesus, man, that's tough. But he says the devil was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. What is he talking about there? What's the lie? What's the murder from the beginning? Well, as I said earlier, we've got to go all the way back to the beginning of the story. Genesis 3. Where we see Satan shows up. And, and if you're reading through that, you sort of wonder, like, where does this come from? This snake that can talk? This makes no sense. Like, I don't get it. And it's sin doesn't make sense. But he shows up, and he convinces our first parents, Adam and Eve, to, did God really say uh, that you couldn't eat that fruit? Did he really say that you would die? Did, did, did he say it that way? Are, are you sure he's not holding back on you? You, know, you can eat that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you can know good and evil. You can figure this out on your own. You don't need God. We're not even sure if he really loves you. Go on. You can figure this out. And so, ironically, Satan was, in a sense, promising freedom. But they didn't get freedom. And we are born into the same lie, and we don't have freedom. Because if I am not connected to God, my creator, through Christ, then all I have left, ultimately, is self. I've got to take care of myself. If he's not doing that, I've got to do whatever I it takes to, for self-preservation. And self is the worst prison. It's the loneliest place in the world. That's what Satan was trying to promise, but he gave them. He promised freedom and gave us a prison. But, but we actually acted on that, by the way. He didn't do it. He didn't eat the fruit. We, we did. So think about self this way. Think about what frustrates you. What are the things that just get at you? I, I tell you, I, have, I, I need to hear this sermon <laughs> more than anybody else. Yesterday, I had a list of things I wanted to accomplish. And so I got started. I went out and was going to put up a sunshade over my back patio. And so I'm connecting the, the hooks and the hardware, and I'm stretching this can. It has to, you have to stretch it to get it to the points where it's supposed to connect and I connect a couple of them and I get to the final one and I'm stretching that thing and the place to connect it's like way over here <laughs> and so I realize I don't have all the stuff I need so I take it back down go throw it in the garage I'm like okay let me try something else because I'd ordered this pump um, to uh, pump 
uh, rain barrel water out so we can water the garden. And so I get to try to connect the hose to this rain barrel, and I get the hose cross-threaded and can't get it back out and start the pump, and I realize it doesn't have the switch on it that I need. And it's just, you know, by the time I'm like, take this rain barrel and just push it in the yard, you know, I'm, I'm frustrated. <laughs> and this is why I need to hear this sermon, because my agenda took precedence. What I thought it should have been, how I thought my life yesterday should have gone, took precedence. And I missed everybody else around me. I missed my family because I was frustrated. And it affected everybody around me. So maybe it's a small thing, maybe it's not. But maybe you can identify with me in in that. (laughs) It happens to us all. See, frustration leads to anger, leads to murder in the heart. I didn't actively murder anybody in my heart then, but I I functionally missed my family because I was frustrated. That is what Jesus says about these so-called religious people. He says, you want to kill me. You have murder in your heart. (laughs) Anything that gets in the way of what we think it ought to be is is ultimately that. You actually want to kill me because of the truth. Satan deals in partial truths, by the way. Here's the partial truth. Here's half the truth. You're far more wretched than you could imagine. I am far more wretched than I could imagine. But Satan wants to put a period there. Say, that is it. And he wants to leave us there. And sometimes we get trapped there, don't we? We get trapped in ourselves. We get isolated and we believe that. And we either try harder to do better or we despair. Jesus says, no, listen to the whole truth. Stop believing the lie that you must defend yourself or cover up your mess or clean yourself up or fight against anyone who would speak into your life. Jesus came to free us from the enslavement enslavement of sin, which at its core is self. We need to hear the whole truth. What is the whole truth? And how does that bring freedom? How does Jesus go about actually freeing us? Well, that leads us to the third point. The death that leads to freedom. I spent time in this passage this week, and I began to wonder. You know, Jesus in this passage says multiple times, hey, you're seeking to kill me. Talking to this crowd, you're seeking to kill me. And they're like, what are you talking about, Jesus? I'm not trying to kill you. Of course, they actually do attempt murder on him at the end of the chapter. We'll get there next week, but... He says this, hey, you're trying to kill me. You're trying to kill me. You have murder in your heart. And it made me wonder, how much was Jesus actually thinking about the fact that they would indeed murder him? You see, he's in Jerusalem right now. The next time we see him in Jerusalem, he's, it's his final week of life on this earth before he's killed. He comes into Jerusalem that week with, triumph, with a triumphal procession, a triumphal entry. They're singing his praises at the beginning of the week. At the end of the week, they're crucifying him. He knew that was coming. And yet he still showed up. He still showed up here. He still had this conversation because he loves them that much to not leave them in the lie. He wants to free them with the truth. And that is the truth that sets us free. It is the death of Christ that sets us free. He says, I love you that much. 
And it's a death that brings another death, by the way. We're, we're united to Christ in everything that is his. His death becomes our death. And so his death, he, he took the wrath. He took the punishment. He took the hit. Our death is simply a death to self. But it must happen. And in union with him, it does happen. And it's a journey of the rest of our lives to grow into it. The death that leads to freedom is the death of self in the death of Jesus. I uh, began uh, with the story of my bathroom remodel uh, and discovering all the pretty cover-ups that I found that hid the rot and the decay. Uh, I want to tell you another story. Uh, a friend of mine, he's got uh, ink for cigarettes. Um, really a new friend, but really appreciate this guy. He has a lot of ink, but he has two that are very uh, pointed with this conversation. One of them is a, a, a one on his arm. It's a tree, and the tree's dead. He says it's the fruit of the poison tree. He says, because nothing good can grow from bad soil. He said, that's me for a long time. I was a bad soil. I was causing all the issues in my life. I was causing all the struggles. I was hurting other people, and I didn't even realize it. And then he, he had another one that he just got, and it's a heart. And there's arrows going through it, and it's bleeding. And above it and below it, it says in Latin, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. Uh, most of us don't speak Latin. Translation is, my fault, all it was his realization that all the pain in his life was coming from the core of who, who he was. He said, it's all my fault. I can't blame anyone else for my pain in my life or the pain that I've caused others. It's on me. He actually drew the design for that tattoo while he was in prison. Physically behind bars, but he said, I was... I felt more free when I was able to acknowledge that the, at the core of my being was a problem. That was what needed to be changed, and that's what Jesus came to free us from. Some people know they are not free. They feel broken. They're very aware of their sin. If that's you, you know you can't clean it up. You already come to that realization, right? Because no one can. My invitation to you is surrender. Surrender to Christ who wants true relationship with you. He doesn't expect you to fix yourself. That's the whole point. We can't. That's why he had to come. At our weakest point, at the place in ourselves where we most want to go, ugh. at the place that most turns us off about ourselves where we feel most unlovable, that's the thing that only fuels his love for you. That is the point at which his love for you is most fierce. Let him free you of self. To those who, uh, of us who feel the bow up inside when Jesus shows up, where we're trying to, to live by our own strength, to just get it right. No, Jesus, just let me try harder this time. Jesus has strong words. He says, you aren't who you think you are. You're in chains to self. But the invitation is the same. Surrender. 
give up trying to fix yourself and let Jesus have his way in you. Jesus' gracious pursuit of you is ultimately for your heart. For those of us who are in Christ, my invitation to us is to abide in the truth. The whole truth, not half the truth, all of the truth. Yes, we are far worse than we could imagine. But we are more loved than we ever dared dream. Know the truth. That means knowing the person of Jesus. And know that he died so that we could die to the heart of sin itself. That death is the truth that sets you free. Live free in him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for sending Jesus. Lord, his, his word is pointed and direct, and it's aimed at our hearts. And it is what we need to hear. And it's because he loves us that much that he wants all of us. So I pray for those of us who know him that we would remain in the truth, remain in his word. And I pray for anyone who is not free, that they would be freed by the truth of the gospel, by the person of Jesus this morning. Would you do this for your glory and our good in Christ's name?